Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. So we're looking at the question of what on earth am I here for and, and the fact that there is a calling upon your life, there's a calling upon my life. I, I don't know how you feel about that. I, for me, I, it's one of the most... Uh, uh, inspiring, engaging ideas that, that I was born into this life and before I'd breathed a breath that actually God had a purpose for my life. Now, now that is such a big idea that a whole bunch of people can't even grasp that it might be real. But the Bible says that God, before you and I had breathed a single breath, before, in fact, it, it actually is so bold to venture back and say before time began or before the foundation of the earth was laid rather, that God had you and I in mind and he had a purpose for our life. I, that to me is a wild idea. And, 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 and for me in my own life, despite this series, uh, regardless of, not despite it, regardless of this series, my hope for every person is that they would get to wake up like I feel like I do and have done for many years feeling like they wake up not only with a new day in front of them, but at the very centre of the purpose for which God put them on the planet. Uh, if, you, if, if you know me at all, I get to wake up, most days of my life, I get to wake up and go, man, I feel like I'm right in the centre of what I was put on the planet to do. And, and that's what my hope would be for your life, is that somehow, somewhere along the journey, as we um, set up with the principles that God has put in place, that you will find yourself waking up going, I'm right in the slipstream of what God's called me to. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. There'll be an ease to it, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Um, it'll still have its challenges. I haven't slept much this week um, as a result of that. Um, and, and that'll be, you know, there'll be things for you. But, but really, when we find ourselves waking up at what we sense is the center of God's will for our life, that is a profound place to live that so few people get to do. But God invites you to it and he invites me to it. And so today we're going to build on this series, just finding the start of my notes, we're looking at the question of what on earth am I here for and the fact that there is a calling upon your life. Live your calling. Listen to this from the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Long ago, even before he made the world, might put in brackets, back in the days when Canterbury used to be able to win the NRL. It's a long time ago. Even longer if you're a Parramatta supporter. In fact, that might be before the foundation of the world. So long ago, even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been, so from day dot, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. What an incredible thought. God loved us and chose us. His intent has always been to adopt us into his family, not just to submit us to um, um, a bunch of commandments. And this is his great pleasure. And so in the first three weeks, called, we talked about called and we talked about loved, and today we're talking about belonging. And the second purpose, if you're doing the handout, now I know some of you love the handout and some of you don't love the handout. So Brian and I sit next to each other in this service normally, sometimes, every couple of times a year, um, increasingly less. <laughs> um, and she fills it in, and I don't. 
So I feel right at home, but it's helpful if you fill it in because it gives you a conversation starter around um, the week. So, the, so I'm second purpose of my life is that God formed me for his family. Now this seems obvious, but stay with me because we're going somewhere in this conversation. God formed me for his family. You know, uh, again, I've talked about calling before and I talked about finding yourself right in the center of it and all that kind of thing. But before anything like cause in my heart or purpose on our life, before any of that happens, to know that I am loved by God and to um, commit to the family of God, they are like the fundamental essentials of calling. They are the thing that everything else is above and beyond. The unique purpose, you know, if you're running G.J. Gardner with incredible purpose behind it in terms of God's work, I mean, they've just announced a drought relief house, I forget what we call it, um, down in Natty, but incredible purpose if you work in a place like that, purpose that God has placed in their heart, actually. Um, but that, that is just the above and beyond what is the foundation of God's calling, that is, he loves us, and you know, that he has created us for family. Jesus' church doesn't really work if I don't like, live in family. It just doesn't work. It's just like me living in family with my own children and, so, and wife, but not being present. You know, if I dropped in every three or four weeks, it's going to be very hard for me to build a sense of family. In fact, I'll probably build an estranged family based on that kind of rhythm. Second purpose of a life is I'm formed for his family. You are too. And the second feeling there is I'm called to belong. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on the church. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Uh, to 47. It's this glimpse of the local church, I think, at its very best. It's, it's really what in our hearts we go after. Everything we do is about reflecting this kind of church in the context of our changing world and, and people's busy lives. This is really, this is what at least we go after in our heart in all of its imperfection. Acts 36, uh, chapter 2, verse 36 says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the, people, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. There we go. With many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves, he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptised, like we're going to do today. And if you haven't done that today, we'd love to invite you to do that today. There's two people getting done in the service, another um, young person being done after the service. We'd love to invite you to that next step of baptism. Um, but then it goes on, it says, they devoted themselves to. So having made a decision to follow Jesus, they devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So I'll just pause there because this is the only part of this passage that doesn't survive like the next little period because they move from commune to community. Everything else becomes really the template for the church moving forward except the commune thing. And aren't you thanking God for that today? Aren't you thanking God that you and I don't live together in a commune? If you live with me, you'd be thanking God that you don't live with me in a commune. So it just has all changed. 
I mean, teenage boys on the front row, probably some of them, I'm sure you shower a lot, but I'm sure, you know, sometimes they don't shower as frequently as they should, some of them, and I don't want to live in a commune with them. I don't even want them to stay at my house. I want them to go home. <laughs> so the commune changed to a community, but everything else went on. All the believers were together and they sold property and gave to needs as, as was needed. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, um, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I like that. I like that last sentence. I like the idea that God will add where he can trust, right? Where God can trust, he will add. And we're not going to pause there today, but it's a powerful thought that if you find a church where God can trust, he will make sure that it gets added to with people that he's trying to draw to himself. But but this this text, what I want us to see in it, it says um, they fellowship together. It actually says they devoted themselves to. They were actually devoted to hanging out. They were devoted to meeting together in the temple and then they met together house to house and ate together and shared food together. And I don't know, as an Aussie, that's one of the reasons. The chapel service, so you know, the chapel service is really just me going, what kind of church service do I want to go to and want to invite my friends to? That's all we really did. And then I gave it to a bunch of millennials to go, now shape this because I no longer understand how the world works. <laughs> that's all it is. And so we put food in it because Aussies, we, we, that's what we do. We congregate and we drink coffee or you know, drink beer or eat food or have a barbie, don't we? Uh, our, our service that's about to live link on the coast today for the first time, they're going to have a barbecue and then they're going to live stream our service and they're going to read the scripture and they're going to pray together and that'll be their church. I'm like... I actually wouldn't mind going to that church, you know, like, that's, that's how it's starting. And, and as we see here in the Bible, and I think the biggest challenge we'll get is getting them to go to a proper service, you know, ditch the barbecue and add a few more, you know what I mean? And, um, but they devoted themselves, they were this community of faith, they were on gospel mission and they were devoted to community. It was organised, it says they met at the temple and it was organic, they met house to house, they went to each other's, others. they went to each other's place. It's organized and organic. And, and, and when the local church gets this right, there is nothing like it on planet Earth. Actually, you know, sometimes I tell the stories that are from my awkward past where my pastor and I, we, we weren't always aligned on the same page. But the other side of the story is that Dan and Jules and Bron and I, and I'm not sure who else in the room as I look around, we come out of a, a church that really was like this, Frank and Kay. We come out of a church that really reflected this kind of environment, mate, committed to temple gathering and apostles teaching, opening the Bible, you know, hanging out together. Sunday for us in our 20s was church in the morning. If it was summer, we'd go to the cricket nets and, uh, and then we'd go to the river and then we'd go back to church. It was just this incredible community and we're all friends today, I think. We're still good. Children's giving me the look. We're still pretty good anyway. But it's this picture of the local church being something remotely close to what um, God would have us to be. And so uh, let me give you the five headings and then I want to bring you to something because I, I think that really, if I can talk about, if you're a person of faith, here are the top three things I think of, 
I, I, I feel like my Christian life is relatively strong. I'm not trying to have an ego trip with that statement. Just I feel strong. Um, and there are moments when I obviously feel weak. But here are the three things I reckon that really, if I boil it down, these three things have set up the life for the last 27 years. Number one is surrender to Jesus. That's pretty straightforward. Number one is surrender to Jesus. Number two is time with God and in the Bible. That's pretty straightforward. Anyone can do that. But number three, number three is found in this passage. Are we actually getting the Bible verses on the screen? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This is the, this is the um, third one, if we've got it. Um, if not, someone might grab it for me and I'll read it in a moment. While that's coming, um, here are the five fill-ins and then I'm going to just talk about one of them today. Number one, fill-in is, in God's family I learned my true identity. If you want to hear about that, Brian will be speaking tonight, number one. Number two, in God's family, I am supported by others. Number three, good, good, lots of people writing them, good. Number three, in Christ's body, I discover my unique value. Number four, I wanted to change this because it's kind of not language I'd use, but in God's flock, I receive protection. Number five, in God's garden, I become productive. If you don't have a church background, you're like, what on earth is that all about? If you do, you probably understand it, but everyone will understand what we talk about next. So they're the five things. If you didn't get them, I can give them to you later. Um, so let me talk about God's family. Let me talk about in God's family, I am supported by others. Or I've put it, I'm a supporter and supported I want to be a supporter of others and I want to be supported by others and that's very important. The Bible says this um, in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. The Bible talks about if a person be, is on their own and they stumble, there's no help for them, no hope for them. It talks about, but if there are two people, obviously one can help the other up and if one falls, the other can help them up and if one gets discouraged... And that's why two is so much more powerful. That's why single parents are pretty remarkable in many ways, especially when they've got little kids. Like I think about when Bron, Bron goes away this week, I think, to Shine Conference, uh, not Shine, Colour Conference. And um, I remember the first time Bron ever went away to Colour Conference. We had three little kids. And I think she went away on the Thursday and on the Friday I rang her and I said, hey, when do you actually get back? Um, because this, this gig is tough. And... And it wasn't until late Saturday or Sunday or something, like in the forever. And, and I'm like, man, this is hard. So when, you, when you're a single parent, you do an amazing job just when they're little, just to keep the thing afloat. And here's the good news, it gets easier. Mostly they get better. Uh, you know, my family turned out all right. Yours probably will too. Keep them in church. Keep God first in their life. I reckon you'll be pretty close to going all right. But for, for those of you who are married, you understand that uh, if, if you've got a great spouse that sometimes you're flat and they lift you and sometimes they're flat and you lift them, sometimes you're both flat and you just sleep it off and sometimes you're both up and the world's powerful and great and you just, but there's something in that. And when there's a, the Bible talks about a threefold cord, that is not easy to break. Like I'm super thankful for people like Dan Coleman. I, I can't explain to you how fully grateful I am to Dan Coleman over all the years. He has been an incredible, incredible friend. And uh, incredibly loyal, incredibly honest. Sometimes when I'm away traveling, people say, Darren, 
what, what, what do you do? You know, you, you get to travel a lot. Do you, do you find it easy to just be yourself and not think anything? And I said, oh, you don't live in Tamworth. In Tamworth, no one's ever going to think more than they are because my friends are very real, very raw and very honest. And, 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 and we help each other. We, we need each other. I need him. He needs me or someone like me, someone. We all need, we all need each other. Um, and so just belonging. Uh, God's family, I'm a supporter and I'm supported. Uh, here are some thoughts around it. Belonging is full of risk and reward, isn't it? It's really uh, full of risk because people do let us down. I mean, we let each other down, don't we? I've let people in this room down. Uh, I think mostly not deliberately. I hope all of them are not deliberately. Um, Some of you have let the person next to you down. If you're married, you've let someone down. If you've got children and they're more than like a minute old, we've let them down somewhere along the line. Um, It just happens. it's, it's full of risk, but it's worth the risk. It's, it's always worth the risk. In fact, to mature fully as a follower of Jesus, I need to live in the, in the space of that risk. It needs to happen. But it's also full of reward. You know, again, if I can just use Dan and Jules, we were, when we are old, Jules is kind of old now, but if, when the three of us get old, she's younger than me. She knows it's a joke. She looks even more younger than me, but she's younger, so I can say it to her. They, um, we'll be friends when we're old. We'll be at each other's funerals. <laughs> what did you say? Not anymore. <laughs> Julie Coleman said, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> She'll bury me and kick me. They, uh, um, I'm lost now. But that's the power. And the only reason we have that relationship is because of the church. Because we went to church together, because we then, you know, talked after church together, and then that, that becomes a coffee together, and then that becomes something else, and then over time you, 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 know, you have these incredible friendships that form. Belonging is full of risk, but the reward is always greater. But there are times you know, when they've had to forgive me, and I can tell you there's lots of times when I've had to forgive them, like so many times just between us while we're here in the room. <laughs> like, listen to this from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And patience. Then this next line that I don't really love, bear with each other. You you can't bear with someone that you don't know, right? You don't need to. You just move on. But it's powerful. The the learning, the, the skill, and the art, and the developing maturity of bearing with each other is powerful. Imagine in the in the moments when um, that, that they were feeling something with me when the, the moments where there had to be tension for them at some point, somewhere, um, imagine they'd opted out then and gone, oh, if Daz doesn't grow up soon, I am done. Imagine they'd opted out then. But instead they were bearing with me. I can't imagine what over, but they were somewhere, somewhere along the line. They were bearing with me, probably many times, right? Because you can't be friends for 26 years or whatever it is and not have bared with me many times. That's just the reality. And so they've gone through that for us to emerge on the other side of the reward in it. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Imagine spending, if you're a believer, imagine spending your life every time you have to bear with one another, you just move on to a new friend. That's got to get boring. It's got to get boring. But in bearing one another, forgiving one another, it says, 
Um, if you have any grievance against someone, and then Paul goes for the jugular, like you're left speechless. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a drop the mic moment right there, isn't it? And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together. Belonging has risk and reward. Here's the next heading. These are just my headings now. Hope you like them. Belonging takes energy. It takes energy. Same, you know, we could use the same verse. We won't. It does take some. It's, it, it, initially, at least, it takes some sacrifice and energy to build relationships. If I'm really honest with you um, today, not that I wasn't being honest now, um, I've said to Brian, you know, there's not much I think I'll regret. Maybe that's my temperament. Um, um, but, but I know the thing that in this stage of life I've said to Brian, I reckon right now if I could fast track forward to the end of my days, I said, I think the thing I would regret... It's not the way we've raised our kids. I think that's good. It's not the way we've done marriage. We're doing our, we, 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 we love it. We work at it. it. It's actually that I haven't been a great friend. Spent most of my adult life so on mission that actually I just haven't been a great friend at times. I'm a friend in the hour of need. I'm a friend when we catch up. But I'm not a great friend. And I look at that and, and I've said to Brian, I, I want to fix that. I want to be better at that as someone who follows Jesus, I want to be a better friend. Belonging takes, it takes energy, a reallocation of energy. Um, I know for sure when I, my time comes and I don't lead our church anymore, I'm thankful for the auditoriums, I'm thankful for all the incredible gear we have, I'm thankful for the services we get to run and now innovate. Um, but you know, the thing I'll miss is people and the friendships and all of those things and so will you. Um, here's the next thought, belonging has a way of seeing. Belonging has a way of seeing. Luke chapter 6 from verse 37 says this. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Isn't that good? All I've got to do is get the do not judge part right. Great. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. What a great list. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. May that be your story. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Listen to this next line. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Jesus kind of cutting to the chase there. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When you yourselves fail to see the plank in your own, and then it goes on. Don't be a hypocrite. First take the plank out of our own eye, and then when you see clearly, remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, this is so powerful. I think sometimes when it comes to the church, I love the church. I genuinely love Jesus' church. And because and, I think it's amazing. I think his people are amazing. I think the, what I see people do across their weeks and in their lives and with their lives is absolutely amazing. The way they hang in with each other, the way they support each other, the way they help people beyond their own sphere of influence outside Jesus' church, I think is remarkable. The church is incredible. Um, but the reality is that sometimes I've met people who pretty well have just distanced themselves from the church, and part of the problem is they can see the plank. Uh, the, not the plank. They can see the speck. They've become a speck-identifying master. They're like, if there's a speck over there, they can see it. They don't like the church. They lean out on the church. They can tell you what's wrong with the church. Everyone can tell you what's wrong with the church, can't they? I can tell you what's wrong with the church, and I love the church. But they are like, 
got a gift of spotting specks, which is not a gift we want to have, but they've got it. And you know you can do that. It's interesting. We had a major... When, when, when I'm away, when I'm away is when I found out which pastor in the world has messed up this week. Because someone will go, oh, did you hear about such and such? Do you know, I was saying to Bron this week, I said, do you know, I cannot tell you the last time someone in our church, and I'm with someone from our church almost every day, I cannot tell you the last time someone told me something that was going on in another minister's life or in another church anywhere. I just cannot tell you of the people that I associate with and have proximity to across the week, most weeks, I cannot tell you a single time that that has been said in the last few years. Maybe in the early years, but not now. Why, why, why is that? Because, because, you know, they're not looking. There's not a spec monitor on their radar. And I think that's very powerful. We had someone um, have, have a tragic mistake happen in their life and uh, one of our members in the, uh, make a mistake in their life and one of our members who was actually close to the person 12 months later came into my office crying or not into my office, actually, in the hall here, and said, Darren, I've heard the news. I can't believe it. And I thought, I know you can't believe it. I know you're broken, and this is devastating. But I like the idea that they didn't know for 12 months, even though they knew the person well. They didn't know. Because people aren't running around looking for the speck in someone else's eye. I think that's powerful in our life. It's a way of, it's a way of seeing. I was telling a story in the chapel service that... Um, I periodically, routinely, sorry, steal Isabella, my eldest daughter. I steal her headphones. Um, and she said, Dad, if you steal them again, you need to pay for them if you lose them. And next time, and so I did steal them. And she, so then apparently she said, I don't remember this. So apparently she said, Dad, from now on, if you take them, it's $30 an hour. <laughs> so on Tuesday, I had an important meeting. I needed the headphones. My phone wasn't working properly. So I thought, I'll just take them for the meeting. And then I forgot, and I went to the gym, and I thought, I may as well use them now, I'm here. And so I used them at the gym, and then I mistimed it, and I needed to go catch a plane. And so I left her headphones with the barista, because that's what everybody does. You, if you, you leave it with the barista, and, and then I told Brian, I said, I've left them with the barista, and she said, blah, 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 I'll sort it out. So when I get home last night, Bella says, Dad, you, you owe me $825. Now, I don't want to be picky, and I want to take the blame, but that girl needs to get the plank out of her eye before she starts to look at the speck in mine, right? Jacko, you with me? So unhelpful to her cause. And, you know, because I need to teach her a lesson, I'm not going to pay the $825. The truth is, though, on the other side of that, the truth is that I, I needed to own something and go, yep, you're right, sweetie. It's not okay. It's not right. I'm sorry. Can we make a deal and settle on 30 bucks? <laughs> Belonging takes energy. Belonging has a way of seeing. Belonging has a way of thinking. I just want to close with this. I just want to close with this because I think it's incredibly powerful for you. Um, um, it has a way of thinking. Philippians chapter 4, transform the way I see the church. I was in a really difficult time, this is a whole lot of years ago now, where I just didn't love the church. Like I'm speaking as a person who, who loved the church then didn't love the church and now loves the church because I went through this period where I could see everyone that wasn't committed, I could see everyone that was just doing their own thing, I was see everyone who didn't give a rip, I could see everyone who's just living selfish, I could see all of it, who, who, wasn't, serving, who wasn't involved, who was just like critical. I could see all of it and in my spirit I was quite not great, you know. 
And Philippians 4 has this verse, I think it's verse 7, I think, um, says, you know, whatever things are excellent, praiseworthy, noble, pure, trustworthy, etc., etc., meditate on these things. So I put that on my wall in my office, and for a year to a year and a half, every day, that was my devotion. I just read this verse every day. I just read this verse until it started to change the way I think. And because it's so powerful, I'd wake up and I'd start to thank God, literally, for Jules, who was our kids' pastor at the time. I'd start to thank God for it start to thank God for Dan and start to thank God for this person and that person and the incredible loyalty they'd shown, the incredible way they lived right across our church. It was amazing. All the people that I'd been critical against just about suddenly were incredible people and I loved the church. It took a year and a half, but now it's the way I just naturally think. And I think that's, there's a way of thinking about the community of faith that really is transformational in our lives. And so I just want to help you with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray, and, uh, and then we're going to move to baptisms. So why don't you close your eyes. Why don't we take a moment. Mighty God, you just still your heart, still your mind. Mighty God, thank you for every person here. Well, I realize for introverts in the room that uh, this, this message can be, you know, nerve-wracking and God, I'm not asking that everybody be the same. I'm asking you to help people work out their fit in the community of faith, how it works for them in light of the Word of God and the thing you call us to, so that we might truly believe, uh, truly become and be an Acts 2 kind of church, a church that acts like family, feels like home more than that is indeed family. Help us to be those kinds of people that the thing that you said would identify your people would be true of us that people outside the church would know us by our love for each other. May, may that increasingly be deeper and deeper, more and more, the kind of church that we are in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.